Welcome, folks, to another edition of Opinions All Day. And this week, I will be covering the NBA Finals. Game 1 took place between the Nuggets and the Heat on Thursday night. I'll give my reaction to that and my predictions for the series. The Phoenix Suns hire Frank Vogel. The Detroit Pistons hire Monty Williams. 76ers hire Nick Nurse. I'll give my thoughts on those three hires in the NBA. And then I'll wrap the show up with... J.C. Jackson, cornerback of the L.A. Chargers, and how he needs a big season. So, okay, so let's get into the NBA Finals Game 1. The Miami Heat survived, annihilated the Celtics in Game 7 to advance to the Finals. With my pleasant surprise, I was not expecting them to overcome the heartbreak that took place in Game 6 with that Derek White lucky, convenient bounce-in at the buzzer, one of the most quietly famous buzzer beaters in playoff history because the Celtics didn't win the series. They got annihilated in Game 7 by the Miami Heat by 20-plus. So the Miami Heat have the privilege and are lucky enough to face the Denver Nuggets, who are the best team in the NBA. They've been the best team in the NBA from the start of the season to now. And they've also been the best team in the playoffs, beating the Timberwolves in five games, beating a top-heavy Suns team in six games that required two amazing Kevin Durant Devin Booker performances, and then sweeping the Los Angeles Lakers, who arguably had the best defense in the NBA from the trade deadline to the playoffs. And my takeaway from game one of the finals is what I've been saying the whole the whole playoffs, which is the Denver Nuggets don't need to be perfect to win. In game one, the Denver Nuggets shot 8 for 27 from three-point range, which is 29%, which is really bad for that team. And they shot 50% from the field, and they made, and they hit 16 foul shots. The Nuggets took game one, 104-93, with the Miami Heat outscoring them 30-20 to in the fourth quarter. Like... Just from an observational standpoint, if you watch game one, and sure you can make the argument that the Miami Heat were sort of gassed from taking it seven games with the Celtics, avoiding a historical collapse, but if you watch that game, if you watched what Denver did, they they didn't do anything special because they are just bigger, they're more physical, and they're just just a better basketball team. Like, the mode we saw the Denver Nuggets in in Game 1 was they had it in neutral. They really didn't have to do much because they started off the game outscoring the Miami Heat 29-20, and then after that, it kind of felt like the Nuggets were up by 20 the entire game. This, to me, feels like a sweep. Because the Nuggets brought their C-plus game. I mean, Aaron Gordon had 16 points. He played well. Michael Porter Jr. had 14. 
And he can give you 30 on any given night. Jokic was the MVP, back-to-back MVP, best player in the league. He was sort of mediocre. I mean, wasn't anything special. 8 for 12, 10 for 12 from the foul line, hit a three-pointer, had 10 rebounds, 14 assists, 27 points, triple-double. That's what he does. And that's considered average for Jokic because he can give you 40-plus, a 40-plus triple-double. Murray was kind of quiet. He had an average game, 11, 11 for 22, 2 for 7 from three-point range, 26 points. Michael Porter Jr., uh, I just brought him up. He only hit, he was 2 for 11 for three-point range. Cadavius Caldwell-Pope, he was quiet, kind of pedestrian, 3 for 8 from the field, hit a three-pointer out of three, 7 points. Wasn't great. Denver Nuggets had a mediocre to below par game and it didn't really matter. The, the game never really felt in doubt. Meanwhile, the Miami Heat have to be perfect. The Nuggets don't have to be perfect. The Miami Heat have to be perfect. And another takeaway is the Denver Nuggets on defense are not going to allow the supporting cast behind Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, to shoot three-pointers. The Denver Nuggets are daring Bam Adebayo to attack the basket because Bam in game one was 13 for 25 at 26 points. And the Nuggets were like, okay, do it. Have a freeway to the, high, or to the basket. Go. You have the tracks wide open. Just go for it because guess what? Your two-pointers are going to do little damage and little to do with the long-term life of the series. We'll let you get 30-plus. Go score 40 because you can score two-pointers and get 40 points. Not going to do much. Jimmy Butler was quiet. He had one of his quiet playoff games. He had 13 points. And that's going to happen. Jimmy Butler does that. He'll go three straight games, four straight games of eh, 15, maybe 22 points, and then he'll go off for 45. Caleb Martin wasn't very good. He played, he had three points, played 25 minutes, one for seven from the field. Gabe Vincent had 19 points, but other than that, Max Strews had zero points. He played 20 minutes plus. Duncan Robinson had a pedestrian game. He had three points. High, um, Highsmith played 23 minutes. He had 18 points. That was pretty much the only positive from the Miami Heat. Then you had Kyle Lowry scoring 11 in garbage time. But the Miami Heat, if they are not, they have to win game two. Ideally, they would have won game the, the first game because that would have giving them some cushion because this Nuggets team, as I have stated repeatedly, they don't have to be perfect. Jokic and Murray can have subpar games for my standards and for hardcore NBA fan standards, and they can still win because what happens if Michael Porter Jr. gets his act together from three-point range and drops 30-plus in line with Jokic and Murray scoring 30-plus? They will blow the Miami Heat off the court. What if KCP goes crazy? What if he hits 25 points? 
five three-pointers. Along with Jokic and Murray going crazy. What if Murray goes off for 45? With Jokic scoring 30. What if um, Bruce Brown scores 25 plus? He's fully capable. In game one, he only had 10 points. He hit two three-pointers. Jeff Green, he's capable of hitting a couple three-pointers. So the Nuggets were not even close to their high gear. They were in neutral, and they still beat the Miami Heat by 11-plus. You know, and people want to bring up altitude and other reasons, blah, 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 blah. First off, altitude. Granted, I understand Denver's 5,000 plus above sea level. But we have NBA professional athletes. or They've been doing this for a while. It's not like the Miami Heat have ever, have not ever been to Denver. Sure, for the average person, altitude matters. But for professional athletes, it doesn't matter. What we saw in game one it's pretty much how this series is going to go. The Denver Nuggets don't have to work as hard. They it all it comes easy for them. And that and that happens for teams that are really really good. We saw that with Michael Jordan's Bulls. They were a loaded had a loaded, loaded roster. Scotty Pittman, Steve Kerr, the Dennis Robbins of the world. They had guys that could play and make shots when necessary. The big three in Miami, during their heyday, they had Shane Battier, Mike Miller, Mario Chalmers, Ray Allen at one point. They had guys that could contribute off the bench. James Jones, the Golden State Warriors of Kevin Durant. They had Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala coming off the bench, sometimes starting, Draymond could Give you 20-some nights on occasion. The Lakers of Kobe and Shaq, they had a great supporting cast. When if Kobe and Shaq had mediocre games, which for them was 25, between 25 and 30, but they had guys coming off the bench. And the Miami Heat are the classic team to where they got to be hitting, they have to hit their three-pointers, and they have to be driving the basket, and they have to play collective defense. Because we already know, no one on the Miami Heat is stopping Jokic. It's not happening. Jokic is going to get 30-plus in his sleep in this series because, I've said it before, I love Bam Adebayo. He's a great player. He's achieved a lot. He works hard. He's gritty. He puts his heart and soul into playing defense and scoring the basketball. But he's not stopping Jokic. In my opinion, I've said it before, he's in an ideal basketball team, basketball situation, roster makeup, he would be your power forward, not your center. But the Miami Heat have they have their work cut out for him. In my opinion, for defensive purposes, let Jokic get a 30-plus, but you have to find a way to reduce his ability of facilitating the offense, which is stick, stick it to his supporting cast, attach to Caldwell Pope, attach to um, Jamal Murray, attach to Aaron Gordon, 
attached to Michael Porter Jr. Get on Bruce Brown. Get on Jeff Green. You have to play physical defense. Because I've heard all these talking heads all week say the Miami Heat need to find a way to stop Jokic. You're not stopping Jokic. Like, you can try any combination you want. You can put Kevin Love on him. You could throw Udonis Haslam at him. You could throw Zeller at him. None of those guys are stopping him. Because we saw in the previous series in the Western Conference Finals against both the Lakers and Nuggets, Anthony Davis had no chance against Jokic. And Anthony Davis is a more consistent defensive player than offensive player. We've seen him bother smaller teams in the past. He didn't have a shot against Jokic. He got annihilated. Jokic got 30 points, and it happened quietly, and you're like, oh, wow, he had 30 points. So the Miami Heat are not stopping Jokic. And also, they have to get more consistent on three-point shooting. Like, if they want to have any shot... They need Max Struz to show up. They need Gabe Vincent to show up. They need Caleb Martin to show up. They need Duncan Robinson to show up. They need Highsmith to have positive minutes, which in the little that he's played in these playoffs, he's done pretty well. And also they need Jimmy Butler to lead them. Like if the Denver if the Miami Heat want to have any shot of hypothetically winning this series, Jimmy Butler needs to show up. Up. Like he needs to be Superman in game two, game three, or game four, game five. All however long the series goes, if they want to win a game, he needs to show up. Because this whole idea and I get it, I love the idea of playing team basketball, but you need team basketball in correlation with your star player playing like a star and giving you star production. That's what's required to win an NBA championship. Like, you know, th- this whole concept of Jimmy Butler floating in and out of games, playing well one game, playing kind of pedestrian the next game, it's not going to cut it. You're not winning an NBA championship like that. You're not. We saw it in the, in the bubble against the Lakers. Jimmy had his quiet games. Had a, his coming out party in game five, scored 40-plus, drove the Miami Heat to a win. Game six, didn't have it in them. They got annihilated. If the Miami Heat don't win game two, they have to win game two, they might get swept. I'm pick, I, I believe I may have said it in one of the previous episodes. I have whoever Denver plays, whether it was the Celtics or the Miami Heat, I believe, they are winning in five games, potentially a sweep. If they were playing the Celtics, I'd be feeling the same way. Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, are they consistent enough to go up against the Denver Nuggets? In my opinion, if they, and we saw it evidently, they're not consistent enough, they would have gotten knocked out in five games. At, wor- at best, six games. So the Miami Heat have it out. I mean, they have had a great playoff run, but if they want to be competitive and win this series and have any shot of winning the series, they have to win game two and they have to play lights out. They have to be competitive because the Nuggets don't have to try hard. 
we see we saw in game two, one they were kind of in, they were in cruise control and they didn't really have to try hard. The Nuggets didn't do anything special. Sure, you could chop it up to the Miami Heat only got to the foul line twice, or only made two foul shots. But doesn't it's not going to matter. If Miami Heat want to win, they need to be aggressive, hit three pointers, and they need Jimmy Butler to be the focal point of the offense. Because the Denver Nuggets, they will let Bam Adebayo score 40 points all day. Because guess what? Bam Adebayo is not beating you in a seven-game series. People have to understand that. The Nuggets are so, so great. They've been great all season, and they're orchestrated in a manner to where they don't need to play great. But... If they bring their A-plus game and kick it into high gear, they could blow the Miami Heat off the floor if they wanted to. I would love Jimmy Bullard to win an NBA championship. If I could gift-wrapped and give any, any NBA player a championship, it would be Jimmy Butler. I like his work ethic, his demeanor, his desire to win. I love all that. I love his off-the-court stuff. He's one of my favorite NBA players currently. And if I could give an NBA championship to any of the above, any of the NBA players in the league, it would be him. But that's not how the NBA playoffs work. That's not how the NBA finals work. You have to go out and earn it. And right now, the the Denver Nuggets are the better team. They've been the best team since October, and they are the best team right now in June. So I expect... The Denver Nuggets to have this wrapped up in either four or five games. Could I be wrong? Sure. I would love to see a seven-game series. I would love to see Jimmy Butler go at it with Jokic and Jamal Murray. I would love to see a competitive series. Because the Miami Heat have represented a team of destiny. A team that has embraced the underdog role. They got through the Bucks got through the Knicks, got through the Celtics, and in each of those series, you can make a strong argument that they were the lesser talented team. And they were. And they've survived. They survived a, a potential historical moment against the Celtics in Game 7. They came out and, not, and blew them out. So they, they've had a great season, but the Denver Nuggets are, a, are four notches above the Celtics. They're consistent, easygoing, they're not erratic, they're not my, your turn, my turn on offense, they move the ball, Jokic is a facilitator, he can also score. What are you going to do? What are the, what are the Miami Heat going to do to counter that? Because if they don't punch back, if they just kind of float around and sort of hope the Nuggets mess up, you're not gonna ha- it's not going to happen. The Nuggets have too many weapons and too many avenues to win a game. They could get KCP to score 30. Bruce Brown could get you 30 off the bench. Michael Porter Jr., they have a lot of different options. Sure, the Miami Heat have Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, Duncan Robinson, Highsmith. With all due respect, they've had a great postseason run, but they are not on the same level as Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., KCP, and Bruce Brown. They're just not. So, I have the Nuggets winning the series in four or five games. 
If the Miami Heat extend it longer than that, then that's great. But if they, but uh, I would be surprised if they don't. Like I, I would expect this to get wrapped up very quickly, and the Denver Nuggets should have their first ever NBA championship. All right, so switching gears, the Phoenix Suns hired Frank Vogel as their new head coach. And as for those that are that may have forgotten or are not aware, Frank Vogel just recently coached the Lakers for three seasons, winning the championship in the bubble. And my takeaway is I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan. And, you know, I, I respect Frank Vogel for what he's done with the Pacers, guiding the Lakers sort of through the NBA bubble, even though I believe LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the veteran leadership on that team helped a lot more, but he was the head coach. So he gets credit for what he did with the Pacers, had a disaster with the Magic, which historically the last 10 to 15 years of Magic have been a disaster. So I'm not going to blame him too much for that, but I believe the Nugget or the Suns could have done better. And my first question mark comes with: Can Frank Vogel deal with Kevin Durant, who can be prickly on social media? It's very opinionated, which is fine, but you know he's very moody, gets upset very easy. Can he deal with Devin Booker? He has an ego, who's not shy to share his thoughts on social media as well. And can you deal with CP3? Because if the Suns don't get rid of Chris Paul's contract, Chris Paul is going to be a member of the Phoenix Suns. Can he deal with DeAndre Ayton and that fiasco? Because if you follow the NBA, you should be aware of the contagious, sort of deteriorated bombing of a relationship the former head coach Monty Williams had with DeAndre Ayton. It wasn't good. He, uh, Monty Williams infamously scolded DeAndre Ayton on the sidelines during game six or five, whatever it was, against the Maver- Dallas Mavericks in, la- in the second round of last year's playoffs when they got annihilated in by 30 against the Mavericks. And that's where that relationship, that's where the bridge burned. Can Frank Vogel deal with those personalities? Can he manage it? And I mentioned he won the championship with the Lakers, but he, if you look at it from a holistic standpoint, he really didn't deal with the Lakers personnel. Did he really deal with... LeBron James, did he counter LeBron James the way Tyron Lue or Darvin Ham has demonstrated? Or that Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley demonstrated? Not really. Did he deal with Anthony Davis very well? Not really. I mean, looking at Frank Vogel's record with the Lakers, his last season with the Lakers, he went 33-49. and 49. His second, uh, his middle year, third year, he went 42 and 30. Wasn't very good. Sure, yes, he won the bubble, but he did have five months off to take a break. And, and I'm not trying to discount the bubble, but the bubble was a very unique 
championship, NBA Finals, playoff environment. So can he deal with the the roster, the, the roster makeup, and also can he deal with the owner, Matt Ishbia? Because Matt Ishbia, in my view, wants to be the center of attention with the Phoenix Suns. He wants to be the star of the show. He wants to be the center of the Phoenix Suns universe. And in my opinion, I don't like it. I don't like it. Because if you look at it the way sports, professional sports, are orchestrated and organized, when the owner of the team wants to be the star of the franchise, that usually doesn't turn out very well. Sure, you can point to easy targets like Jerry Jones. He's the star of the Cowboys universe, and they haven't won a Super Bowl since the 90s. He makes all the decisions. He hires the coach. He hires, picks the players, drafts the players, picks what free agents they sign. He does all the above. He's team president, GM, some uh, arm, uh, you know, head coach from a distance. He wants to know the game plans. He wants to know all of that. Matt Ishbia is giving me those type of vibes. He is going to be a hands-on GM. He's going to be a hands-on semi-head coach from afar. He's going to be in the game. He's going to be at the game. He's going to be front row and center. He's not going to sit up in the box and relax and have a cocktail. He's going to be involved in the game. He was involved in the Nuggets Sun Series. He's courtside every game. This to me felt like a Matt Ishbia move of, hey, you know what? I want to control the head coach. Frank Vogel, just based on his past experiences with the Lakers, he's controllable. Jeannie Buss controlled him. LeBron James could control him. Anthony Davis could walk over him. He doesn't have a commanding personality. He doesn't have the personality that's going to speak up and counter a star player's or owner's perspective. Because Matt Ishbia could have gone a few different routes. He could have hired Doc Rivers, which, which I wasn't a big fan of. I mean, with all due respect to Doc Rivers, I don't think Doc Rivers would have fixed the Phoenix Suns' issues, which is they're top-heavy and they need a decent supporting cast. And then also the elephant in the room, which is DeAndre Ayton. I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that he can deal with it. I'm not, I'm not convinced Frank Vogel can deal with it. Because with the Lakers and that star top-heavy team... He didn't really represent that he could handle the situation because he had a strong, a, a very strong bench, um, coaching bench, which included Jason Kidd, Lionel Hollins. He had he had strong personalities that could man, deal with LeBron, be sort of the buffer between him and LeBron James, or between him and Jenny Buss. Matt Ishbia, very different personality. He he's very straightforward in what he wants. He's aggressive. We have a similar situation with the Clippers and Steve Ballmer, who pretty much makes all the decisions. And sure, they have a strong... I'm not trying to disrespect the front office of the Clippers, but Steve Ballmer, he's going to make... He's, he's going he, he's gonna to call the shots. With the disaster in the bubble, with the 3-1 lead against the Nuggets, 
He fired Doc Rivers the next week. He was like, you're out of here. See ya. He, he made comments sort of on the fly. We need to trade the entire roster. So what I'm saying is having a bombastic, controlling owner who wants to put his hands in the mix of the franchise doesn't always work out. Doesn't always work out. When you have a top, a top heavy, top down approach, doesn't always work out because in most scenarios, the owner is not involved in the day-to-day operations. Like a Matt Ishbia, and I don't have intel, but he just comes off as do X, Y, and Z, A, B, C, and do it correctly. And then he'll come around once a day in the office, see what's going on, and he'll probably rip his subordinates, the general manager, team president, head coach, for not doing what he wants. So I, I am not a big fan of the hire. In my opinion, I, I thought the Suns should have kept Monty Williams and give him a full season to work with Kevin Durant, to work with Devin Booker, to sort of mesh the talents together, get a healthy Chris Paul or trade him away for a healthy point guard and have a better supporting cast when they shipped the, the, the farm and everything else to Brooklyn. So uh, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of the hire. I, I believe that this could easily turn into a situation where Frank Vogel is fired this time next year because they underperformed. But we'll see what roster moves they make when free agency starts. They have a lot of work to do because if they because if the Suns run it back with the current configuration of the roster they have no shot Kevin Durant and Devin Booker can't do it themselves and with the new CBA rules the new luxury tax rules it's going to be very hard it's going to cost a lot of money and is Matt Ishbia dedicated to spending that type of money is he is he dedicated to going both feet in the pool with the high luxury tax is he going to be willing, willing to do that We'll find out. All right, so Monty Williams got hired by the Detroit Pistons. And like I just said, I believe Monty Williams got ultimately screwed by the situation in Phoenix. I mean, sure, you can make the argument he shouldn't have gotten annihilated in back-to-back postseasons and getting beat by 30-plus in in, uh, elimination games. But... I thought he should have been afforded and deserved based on his building of the Phoenix Suns from a dumpster fire to a NBA Finals team. I thought he deserved one more year. But he ended up with the Detroit Pistons who have been a mess for a long time. They've been a mess ever since making the playoffs last or had a meaningful playoff run, which was all the way back 2007 season when they reached the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, yes, they had playoff runs in 2015, 
2018. They had sort of minimal runs of Stanton, Gunning, Dwayne Casey. But the last meaningful run was back in, it was long, it was 20 plus years ago. It's been a long time. So the, the Detroit Pistons fan base, ownership, and everyone else affiliated with the Pistons, I believe I believe they made a great move, but they're going to need to be patient. They have to be patient because this is going to be a long-term project. This is like buying a house, a fixer-upper that needs a lot of work, has a lot of potential, but it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be three years of rebuilding the deck, re- repainting the walls, maybe tearing down some walls, making some new walls, building some new walls. You may have to re-, re rip out the electrical system. It's going to be a lot of work because that roster has a lot of potential, but there needs to be some changes. They have Marvin Bagley III. They have Katie Cunningham. They have Jaden Ivey. Like they have good young pieces. Corey Joseph. They have young pieces that can that can contribute to a championship team or a playoff team in the next five to ten years of young core players. But it's not gonna it's not gonna transform overnight. So if the Detroit Pistons are patient and willing to see this out for the long term in the long run, then this is going to be great. But if Detroit Pistons fans are anticipating a quick turnaround snap, snap of the finger like that, then you're highly mistaken because the Pistons have not been relevant in recent memory. As I just went over, the last significant playoff run was back in 2007 when they went up against LeBron James and got upset. Since that point, they've made the playoffs twice. They finished going with Dwayne Casey, 17 and 65, 23 and 59 in 2021. In 2020, they went 20 and 52, 20 and 46, 41 and 41, 39 and 43, 37 and 45. 44 and 38. They have not been a very successful franchise. Like they are a far cry away from when they won the NBA championship in 2003. And when they lost in the finals in 2004. They are far, 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 far away from that. And I believe Monty Williams is the right choice for this team. Stan Van Gundy, Dwayne Casey, of all due respect, they were never turning around the Pistons. And based on recent history, the Pistons franchise ownership, they're very patient. Dwayne Casey got five years. Stan Van Gundy got four years. So they they, they are pretty, pretty patient. And they're going to need to be patient with Monty Williams. And also, and I hate to bring it up, but Detroit's not necessarily a free agent destination. Because in the NBA, where the players live, off the court lifestyle, sponsorships, all of that, all of that matters. And no disrespect to Detroit, but Detroit's not necessarily number one or in the top ten of desired NBA cities. 
So it, the fans need to be patient. Ownership needs to be patient. The players need to be patient. Katie Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, they need to listen to Monty Williams, and they need to listen to the coaching staff he brings on because if they listen and put the work in, they can turn it around because he turned around the Phoenix Suns. That disaster of a franchise that won 15 to 17 games a year and had great success in the bubble. He won 34 and 49 his first year. They were competitive in the bubble. They made the West, they were they made the NBA Finals in his second year, going 51 and 21, went 64 and 18 his third year, and finished out this season 45 and 37. So he's fully capable. He just needs the time and the necessary resources to turn the Pistons around. And if you're an NBA fan like myself, I want to see the Detroit Pistons be successful. I want to see him be in playoffs consistently, not every 10 years. So, all right. So then um, switching gears, Nick Nurse was hired by the 76ers. And, you know, th- th- this is a, if I were to give this on a uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this a 7 or a 6. And it's not because I'm going to sit here and disrespect Nick Nurse, who did win a championship with the Raptors, even though he got very fortunate and lucky with the Kawhi Leonard bounce against the 76ers, the injuries the Golden State Warriors experienced in that 2019 finals with uh, Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles, Clay Thompson tearing his ACL, because you are not convincing me that the Golden State Warriors don't win the NBA championship in three-peat if Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson don't get hurt. You're not convincing me. That Raptors team was, you know, it was filled with veteran leadership, but they had a lot, and listen, I, I get it. In order to win championships, you got to have lucky bounces throughout the journey, but they did get lucky. And also that team, the Raptors, had veteran leadership. They had Kyle Lowry. They had Kawhi. They had Serge Ibaka, Mark Gasol, a young, talented player, and uh, Pascal Siakam. They were defensive-minded. They were focused. Based on the current construction of the Philadelphia 76ers roster, is that a championship team? I mean, look at the roster. Joel Embiid. Great player in the regular season, but he continues. He's, he's having a rap sheet of kind of showing up small in the playoffs. Can Nick Nurse light the fire underneath Embiid, who was more worried about MVPs than having championship runs because they, they, they blew it against the Boston Celtics. They were up 3-2. They wet the bed in the fourth quarter of Game 6 and got annihilated and blown off the floor in Game 7. Is James Harden going to be back? If James Harden comes back to the 76ers and doesn't take his talents to the Houston Rockets, who have a lot of work ahead of them, and is James Harden going to be dedicated? Can Nick Nurse light the fire under James Harden? Can Nick Nurse light the fire underneath Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, George's Niang. Can he light the fire underneath, guys? And based on 
the current structure of the 76ers roster. I hadn't seen it. Tobias Harris shows up every other, every 10 games. He has a good, decent game where he scores above nine points. Because the 76ers, what it comes down to is they need playoff success. They can have all these great 51 regular seasons all they want, but they can't get past the second round. That was the issue of Brett Brown. Couldn't get past the second round. That was the issue of Doc Rivers. Couldn't get past the second round. The 76ers have had talented rosters. They have Joel Embiid. They had Ben Simmons when he had his head straight. Couldn't get past the second round. So it's not like the 76ers have had chop liver rosters. They haven't. They just don't put it together. Like, if you were to compare the Nuggets to the 76ers, the criticism with Jokic was he can't win in the postseason. Can't get it done. He always came up short. Won his MVPs, won back-to-back MVPs. Now he's made the finals, and he's more focused on team-driven basketball. I don't see that from Joel Embiid. In Game 7, what did he have? 15 points? Inexcusable. That can't happen. Joel Embiid needs to be both feet in and being committed to winning a championship. Committing to the playoff journey. It's two months. It's not easy. People bash NBA playoffs because it's too long. It's supposed to be not only a talent examination, but a mental and physical challenge. Can you mentally handle it? Can you beat a team in four games? Can you handle the ups and downs of a seven-game series? That's the purpose of the NBA playoffs. Because the superior team is going to win. This is not the NCAA tournament. This is not the NFL, which is one and done. This is the NBA. Seven-game series. Can you close it out? If you're up 3-1, can you slam the door shut? Or are you going to melt and fold up like a lawn chair? The 76ers have all the talent. They got talent. I believe they need to add some more shooters and get off that despicable and disgusting Tobias Harris contract, which which was stupid to give in the first place because they had Jimmy Butler in their locker room and they let him walk because they wanted to pay Ben Simmons and they wanted to pay Tobias Harris. Long-term, short-term, you could say, oh, well, that makes it you know, not bad, but right now it looks pretty stupid. Do the 76ers make a move for Damian Lillard? Do they trade Maxie, Harris, and some picks for Lillard? The 76ers have a big offseason. Because if they stand pat and have the same pretty much core of Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, James Harden, it's not going to work. They need to make some changes because as currently constructed, it's not good enough. And also and factored in is James Harden's dedication to winning and Joel Embiid taking the necessary steps to become a playoff player instead of a regular season MVP star player.
That's what's required. And Joel Embiid may not like to hear it. You know, he's rabbit ears when it comes to social media. But he needs to grow up and understand that it, it, it's, a, it's all, whether people like it or not. It's all about how many rings you put on your finger. Not how many MVPs. Not how many sponsorships you have. It's about winning championships. The NBA world, if the Nuggets won the NBA championship, is going to view Jokic a hell of a lot different. Same thing happened to Giannis. LeBron. Kevin Durant. People, we... we we grade you, we rank NBA players on how many championships they win. That's how we measure success. If Joel Embiid wants to be considered one of the all-time greats and not some guy listed on an NBA hierarchy list, as up, uh, well, coulda, woulda, shoulda been. Because he's heading that way. We would view players like Charles Barkley, Allen Iverson, who never won championships, very different if they won a championship. Jimmy Butler, if he wins a championship, he will be viewed much differently than how the casual sports fans view him. So if Joel Embiid wants to right the wrong, change the narrative that he's a regular season player, go out and put in the necessary work, conditioning is a big part of that with him, Get in the proper shape and go for it. Embrace the playoffs. Pace yourself in the regular season. You got your MVP. Now go win a championship. So can Nick Nurse light that fire underneath him? Can he guide the 76ers to the promised land? That remains to be seen. I'm not fully convinced. It's sort of a eh. Monty Williams would have been better. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to promote prop up Monty Williams, but I think you need a guy to light someone's fire. And I'm not sure if Nick Nurse is necessarily that guy. Like was he lighting Kawhi Leonard's fire? Not sure if he really was. And quite frankly, he wasn't because it was sort of babysitting Kawhi managing his personality. Like, how you doing, Kawhi? You want a Coke or do you want a do you want a drink? How you feeling? You want to sit out today? Nick Nurse needs to bring a totally different approach. He needs to be not screaming at guys, but he needs to be aggressive. He needs to set the tone that hey, if you're gonna be on this team, we need to compete for championships. So all right, so switching gears to my guy, JC Jackson. The big star prize of last offseason for the Chargers. And he's coming off an injury where he ripped his knee against the Seahawks. And from reports, from, from what I've been hearing and reading about um, Charger beat reporters, J.C. Jackson is on schedule to return to full strength this upcoming season. And I, I'm just going to put it out there. J.C. Jackson needs to have a big season. He needs to have a big season. And I understand the injury. I understand the injury excuse and that he gets a pass. But he was brought here on an $82 million contract to be a star player. To be a star cornerback. To lock down the opposing receiver. To 
be a game changer with, with his turnovers, with his interceptions. Because if you remember back in 2021 when he played with the New England Patriots, his pro football focus rating was 82.6. He was second overall in interceptions. He was fourth in defended passes. He was tied for 26 in receptions allowed. He was very, very good. Highly sought after. He was one of the few players Bill Belichick actually wanted to re-sign and keep. And instead, he came to the Chargers because he's friends with Duran James. Him and Duran James grew up together in South Florida, played youth football together, potentially even uh, high school. J.C. Jackson needs to show up because prior to his injury... His pro football focus rating was a 28.7. He was 134th in tackles, zero interceptions, tied for 122nd in pass defense. Receptions were allowed. He was tied for 119th. Not very good. Terrible, embarrassing for a player that's making $82 million. And, you know, all the hardcore other Charger podcast people, fans, are like, oh, you're just switching over to a new, new offense. I get that. But my problems with him resonated and started to bubble up when he had a routine knee procedure after going through training camp. That was my first problem. I was like, what the hell is that all about? I didn't think much of it. But then he showed up in games against the Chiefs, Texans, and Browns. And got cooked. He got cooked by the Chiefs. Fourth string tight end for a touchdown. Got cooked by the Texans. Got cooked by Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper had a field dig. And some shook him out of his boots. Multiple times. And that game. I believe Amari Cooper if I remember correctly. Had over 100 yards. Easy. I mean J.C. Jackson. Looked like a. Below average. Cover corner. I mean, against the Broncos, he got benched. He got benched against the damn Broncos, who were pathetic on on offense. He was getting cooked in that first half. And Brandon Staley, to his credit, who I criticize, you're going to hear me criticize him routinely, he got cooked. He had the audacity and the guts to bench him. Michael Davis played much better. And I'm not, and I am no, no disrespect to Michael Davis. I am no big fan of Michael Davis. Bryce Callahan played better. And unfortunately, Bryce Callahan's not, not no longer part of the team. I thought that was a big, 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 big move. And in the defense of the Chargers, we have a whole bunch of potential to be great in the secondary. And granted, we've been top 15, top 10 every year. For the last five to uh, five to ten years, because but we have Asante Samuel Jr. had a breakout game against the, in the in the wild card game. Four interceptions, play out of his mind. He's gotten better each year. He's been on the team. It's supposed to be two bookend corners of J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr., and with Derwin Dor- James being the monster and freak of nature that he is. All the pressure and the expectations are going to be on J.C. Jackson. You're the highest paid. You're one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the league. Play like it. 
You're supposed to be in the turnover machine. Study the playbook. Get familiar with the concepts because Derek Ansley, based on the reports and practices, preaching aggressiveness. Get after the ball. See ball, get a ball. J.C. Jackson needs to show up. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear the injury excuse. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear I'm still learning the defense. I don't want to hear it. That's not going to work in year two. Because I was getting to the point in those games against the Texans, Browns, and the he got lucky. He was actually playing a little better against the against the Seahawks, but DK Metcalf magically went off. He left the game in the first quarter in a cart. I don't know what happened. I thought he was using the bathroom, but he never came back. And then JC had his just unfortunate injury where he ripped his knee. But he needs to play better. He needs to show up this year and show that he's ready to go. Because what I saw in those first few games last season against the Seahawks, uh, Broncos, Browns, Texans, Chiefs, was totally inexcusable. Totally inexcusable. Especially for a guy who's supposed to be a, a, a turnover machine and a play disruptor and a game game flipper. I didn't see that. He was flipping the game for the other team. Like, I don't know why the Browns stopped throwing the ball to him. Because he was, uh, Amari Cooper was having his way with him. I mean, the Denver Broncos' third-best receiver, fourth-best receiver, was making him look stupid. So he needs to have a big year. The expect I'm going to be watching him with a microscope this season, and he needs to show up. And people can say, I'm being unfair. No, 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 I'm not. If you're going to make $82 million of a $40,000, whatever it was, signing bonus, you need to show up. You need to show up in shape, prepared, understand the playbook, and get after it. Make plays. Be the game changer. Everyone, including the Charger franchise, from the GM, from the head coach, to the coaching staff, to the fans, are expecting you to be. I got the schedule right in front of me. In game one, if he's ready to go, and according to reports, he's going to be ready to go, he needs to play well against Tyree Kill. Needs to play well against the Titans. Needs to play well against the Vikings. He needs to deal with Justin Jefferson. He needs to deal with Devontae Adams if he's still on the team with the Raiders. He needs to deal with the Cowboys receivers. Deal with CeeDee Lamb. Deal with the Kansas City Chiefs. Deal with the Chicago Bears. Deal with DJ Moore. Deal with the Jets. Deal with the Lions. Deal with the Packers. Deal with the Ravens. Deal with the Patriots. Deal with the Broncos. Deal with the Raiders again. Deal with the Bills. Deal with the, deal with the, the Stephon Diggs. Deal with the Broncos and deal with the Chiefs. He needs to show up. He needs to show up. I don't want to hear any excuses because what I and what I saw last at the beginning of last season was kind of embarrassing. I was like, did we make him? We got robbed. J.C. Jackson took us for a ride, and so far that's what it's looking like. He fleeced us for $82 million. If he does not show up in the first few games against the Dolphins, Titans, Vikings, Raiders, 
first four games before the bye week. This is completely irrational, but I don't care. I would cut him. If he comes out looking like stir-fry and looking like absolute garbage, like a wax doll, then cut him. It's going to be it's going to put us in cap hell and add penalties to our cap space and roster makeup, but damn it, he's in, he's a liability. He was a liability last season. That's why he got benched. That's why Michael Davis got thrown into the fire and did pretty well. Did way better. Because J.C. Jackson was getting beat on simple plays like deep balls. Mark Cooper was beating him deep. D.K. Metcalf was meeting, beating him deep. The Chiefs' fourth best tight end and beat him deep for a touchdown. Brandon Cooks was cooking him. Inexcusable. I don't want to hear the excuses. I don't want to hear excuses from Charger fans. I don't want to hear excuses from the team. I don't want to hear excuses from Brent Staley. I don't want to hear from Derek Ansley. I don't want to hear it because we're paying you 82 freaking million dollars to be a game changer, not some other cornerback. Like if you was some other cornerback like Michael Davis or Bryce Callahan or name them, it's not, you're not just some dude. You're supposed to be the guy. You're supposed to be the guy opposite of Asante Samuel Jr. Start playing like it. Start playing like it. You're on a team with a better quarterback than Mac Jones. You're on a team with Justin Herbert and a loaded offense with Quentin Johnson, who I think is going to win Rookie of the Year, Darius Davis, the Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton. You're on a team that has a loaded offense, not some time machine, old school, three three runs uh, strikeout. You're on a team that has an offense. You don't need to get stops every drive, but you need to stop getting burned on basic concept plays. And people can say, oh, you're overreacting. Why are you losing it? I'm losing it because he's getting paid $82 million. He's getting paid the top dollars to play like a superstar. And he played like garbage. So I don't want to hear the excuses. I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear any of it. None of it. It's not going to fly this time. So J.C. Jackson, play like it. Play like the star you're supposed to. And I want to see it week one against the Dolphins. I want to see it. Show up. Because if it wasn't for you, unfortunately, getting hurt, and I don't wish injuring anyone, we were gonna get you were getting exposed. So if you don't want to get exposed, show up and play better. Be ready to go. Because I don't want to hear the excuses from anyone, including him. All right, so that's it for this um, edition of Opinions All Day. I'll see you guys next time.